You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast, recorded on Sundays in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our goal is to help you grow from root to fruit. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Well, welcome again this morning. Um, I'm so thrilled that you're all here with us. Like Pastor Dan mentioned and I mentioned, Advent is a really special and a beautiful thing in my heart. And so we're just going to turn our attention towards the idea of Advent over the next few weeks. We're just going to kind of focus in. Actually, what you'll notice is that each sermon that's preached over the next few weeks will coincide with the little book of readings that you have. And so as we lit the candle of promise this morning, we're going to take a look at the idea of promise in the Christmas story. And when I, in my thoughts thought, oh, promise and Christmas, I immediately thought about Anna and Simeon. They're kind of um, hidden in the Christmas story a little bit. Actually, if you'll turn with me, they're in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn there or you can follow along on the screen. Anna and Simeon are in the same chapter where Jesus is born and all the cool stuff happens. They're just a little bit after that. But they're often left out. In fact, some of you may be like, I don't even know who Anna and Simeon are. And that's totally okay. We're going to find out this morning. (laughs) But in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38, we find ourselves right after Jesus is born. um, And actually what's happening here is Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus are having their coming out party. This is the first time they would be seen in public. Mary would have been required to stay hidden for a period of time because of Jewish law. And so baby Jesus would not have been out in the public for people to see. And so they're bringing Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. They're saying, here he is. Here's our baby. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25 and read a little bit through verse 38 because Simeon and Anna, I mean, we need to give them a little bit of, you know, screen time here. They're an important part of the story. So we're going to read their story this morning if you'd like to follow along with me. Verse 25 says, at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue, say rescue, rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed, say revealed, to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took little baby Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. Simeon's just a little bit dramatic. He was a prophet. Most prophets in the Bible are just a little bit dramatic, and he's right in line with the rest of them. Let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal, say reveal, God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Remember, he's just looking at little baby Jesus when he's saying all this. Jesus' parents, I love this verse. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Can we just pause here for just a second? Um, Jesus was just born to them a, a virgin birth. And they're amazed still? I mean... If Mary and Jesus can still be amazed, we should still be amazed all the time at the stuff God does. Because they just saw something happen that shouldn't have happened. And it really happened right in front of their eyes. And they're amazed. Still. Mary and Jesus had some kind of understanding about the things of God that I wonder if we don't always have. 
because the stuff's being said about their little tiny baby that they knew, but they're still amazed. Unpause. Then Simeon blessed them, verse 34, and he said to maybe the berries, Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. Say rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Say revealed. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Now here's Anna. Anna's also a prophet. Verse 36. Anna was also there in the temple. Anna was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they'd been married only seven years. Verse 37, then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Actually, what that means is that she had been a widow for 84 years. Anna was old. Say old. (laughs) I'm messing with you now. Anna was old. She never left the temple day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue, say rescue, Jerusalem. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we're really thankful that we're gathered in this place this morning in your name, all because of you. Really, everything we're going to do, we've already done. Everything we're going to say, everything we're thinking about, every way that this service has been planned is all about you, Jesus. And so I simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you this morning. And Lord, I believe that your word on its own, because it's so anointed, changes our lives. And so I ask as we just look at three simple words out of this text that talks about this guy, Simeon, and this lady, Anna, that we don't even really know that much about. I ask, Lord, that you would wake us up that you would cause hope and a belief and a promise to arise in us in a fresh way this morning. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all for you. And it's all because of you. And it's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. The first word we're going to look at this morning, I just in this text, I just noticed three R words jump out at me. I made you say them as we read through them. And so I just want to look at these three things. We're talking about the promise of a coming Messiah. We're looking at the idea that Jesus is on his way and we're stopping each day, hopefully in our homes, to light a candle. And we stopped this morning to light a candle because we believe it matters that we take a minute to say this season is not just about all the sparkly and all the good and all the spending money and all the fun stuff, but it's actually about little baby Jesus being born and coming and the promise and what that means that he's come. The Jewish people, when Jesus was born, found themselves being ruled by a government that was cruel and hateful and completely in opposition to everything that they believed. They were scorned. They were put down. They were rejected. They were pushed aside. They were not considered. They were outcasts. And so these people believed in the promise That was in the word of God that they had read in their lives that said there's a Messiah who is coming. And when he comes, he will change it all. He will overthrow it all. He will make everything different. He will make all the wrong things right. He will do all the things that you've been waiting to see happen. This Messiah when he comes. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And two people, Anna and Simeon, were really waiting. Simeon, the word of God tells us, had gotten a promise from God himself on some level 
that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Anna, a widow of 84 years, was kind of, I mean, these people are prophets, biblical prophets, and there are some people who are modern-day prophets today they are a little strange, just a little weird. They do things a little differently. Anna, the Bible tells us in this story, Anna never left the temple. I don't know where she bathed, brushed her teeth. I don't know those details. I just know the Bible says she never left, praying and fasting day and night for the coming of the Messiah. They're waiting. The Jewish people are waiting desperately for this change to come. Because the way it's going right now is not working out well for them. They have this promise that they're holding on to and they're waiting. And I find it completely fascinating that Simeon, this man, this prophet who in that day, it says the spirit of God nudged him and told him to go to the temple. That wasn't normal for them. Those people didn't really think God talked to them as individuals. That was a big deal. But when God said, go to the temple, Simeon went. And isn't it fascinating to you? I don't know if it's fascinating to you. It's, maybe it's just fascinating to me. But I'm amazed at the thought that Simeon sees a baby and goes, yep, that's the one that's going to change the whole world. I'm good, God. Take me now. Because I have promises from God that I'm waiting for. And I don't know if they showed up in their infant seed form. If I would look at them and go, yep, God, that's it. You've done it. I'm good. I'm thankful for the whole promise being fulfilled right here, right now. Little baby Jesus. He was probably crying. He might have been fussy. I don't know. Do you think baby Jesus cried? I don't know. It's just one of those questions. I don't know. But anyway, the word rescue. These people are waiting to be rescued. The Jewish people are waiting to be rescued. And their rescuer, their promised rescuer, comes in the form of a baby. Common parents. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph were so common and so insignificant on some level that they didn't even have enough money to give the really good sacrifice when they came into the temple that morning. We can tell by the fact that they just gave two doves as their sacrifice that they were poor. They didn't have a lot. But this man Simeon and this woman Anna had been waiting for their rescue. I wonder if any of you have ever felt the need to be rescued out of a situation. Anybody? Just me. I'm the only one there. Okay, just checking. But I want to tell you a sort of funny story in a holy moment with a candle lit and all that where we feel like we should be super holy and spiritual. But I want to tell you a funny story out of my house, if I can. Um, I'm sure that some of you will think I'm a weirdo because I'm always telling sports stories, but I just need to tell you this rescue story. Sadly, my family are fans of a football franchise called the Cleveland Browns. Now, the people that are laughing know what that means, and I'm going to get to it in a minute. Don't show the picture just yet. Um, and my son, Jack, I'm so sad. My son, Jack, is not here this morning. He, he's ill, and his daddy is home with him because he's ill. But I'm telling a story about him, and he's not here, so I can, now, I can really tell the story because he's not here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just took. A few weeks ago in our Thank God series, Pastor Dan, in one of the earlier messages in the series, really encouraged us to ask God for what we need. Do you remember that? Who was here that morning? He said, pray, ask God for what you need. Okay. And he said, he said something in some point in the message along the lines of, no, really ask him. It doesn't matter how small it is or how insignificant it might seem to other people. God really wants you to ask him for the things that you need. And so my son Jackson that morning took pastor, his pastor, very seriously. And that morning he prayed for some of his classmates, but he also prayed that the Cleveland Browns would win. 
Now, when he told us at the lunch table that day, we all went around and kind of said, what did you pray for? And some of us were like, mine's private. I'm not going to tell what I prayed for. But Jack was like, I prayed for some classmates, and I prayed for the Browns to win. And we were all like, Jack, you prayed for the Browns. I don't think that's what Pastor Dan meant. And he looked at us in dead seriousness and said, my pastor said, if it mattered to me, God wanted to hear about it. And I want the Browns to win, and I prayed for the Browns to win. We were like, okay. All right. We'll leave you go. Now, for those of you who don't follow sports, let me, let me explain to you why the Cleveland Browns are an example of people who need to be rescued. Now, their situation is not as dire as the Jewish people, but they are in deep need of a rescue. Oh, apparently, the pic- did the picture come up? These are Cleveland Browns fans. This is what they've resorted to, that they actually put brown paper bags on their heads. One says, a pathetic organization top to bottom. These are people who have paid for seats to this game, mind you. Now, something's wrong with them. And the other one says, we're just terrible. Jack wasn't joking. They need help. Let me tell you about the Cleveland Browns. Since 1999, they've been one of the most losing football teams in America. In fact, when you tell people you're a Browns fan, sometimes they go, oh, I'm so sorry. They cross themselves. They put their head down. They, like, pat you on the back. When my husband's out in public wearing Browns gear, people, like, kind of... Give him a nod like, I'm so sorry, bro. God be with you. Okay. The Browns have not had a winning season since 2007. That's 11 years. In fact, the last three seasons, in the last three seasons, they've only won four games. This is who my son is praying for. (sighs) Last year, they won zero games. Now, this is just the sports team, but the Jewish people, this is kind of how they felt. They felt like people with bags on their heads. It was much more serious than that. I'm making a joke. <laughs> their record for the last three seasons was 4 and 44. Won 4, lost 44. When Jack prayed that day, they were coming off of a four-game losing streak. Their coach had been fired the week before. They needed to be rescued. And then... Little 11-year-old, not, I mean, he's not really that little, but he's little to me in my head. He's a little Jack. Jack Mallerman prayed because his pastor told him to. Their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, was quoted that day as saying, somebody asked him, like, hey, Baker, you know, like, did you feel different when you woke up this morning? Like, he's like, yeah, when I woke up, I felt dangerous. I'm like, I don't know what time Jack prayed, but Baker woke up feeling dangerous. <laughs> The next week, actually, and that week, I'm, I'm burying the headline. They won that day. The season before, they hadn't won a game. Coach fired. They're terrible. They're fans. Let's take that picture down, those poor people. <laughs> we don't need to humiliate them anymore. Their fans wear bags on their heads. But then Jack Mowerman, little Jack Mowerman, said, my pastor said I could pray for the Browns. And we're at home. Okay, now let me, let me tell you also that I prayed for some things that day too. Okay, like a little bigger than Browns winning, maybe a little more life-changing, a little feel, feel a little more important to me than that. But that mattered to my son. It was a big deal, and he prayed, and he asked God. And so I had taken my Sunday nap, and I wake up, and Andre's watching the Browns game on the computer because they're so bad their games aren't even televised. So he's got to find it on the computer somehow. That's how bad the Browns are. And so I wake up, and he goes, Carrie, the Browns are winning. 
And I'm like, yeah, whatever. What quarter is it? Like, he's like, no, for real. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on, okay? And so the game goes on, and we're watching it like, oh, my word. Is Jack's prayer going to get answered this morning? These guys are terrible. They're losers. Their fans wear bags on their heads. But Jack Mallerman prayed, and we serve a God who cares about what we care about, and we need a rescue, and we're believing him for a promise. It might seem small. It might seem stupid, but it can matter to Jack. And I'm going to here to tell you this morning that do you think that when my son prayed for the Browns to win and they're losers and they're terrible and then they win, what do you think happens to my son's belief in the promises of God after that prayer gets answered? That boy believes that when he prays, the God of the whole universe cares what he prays about and is there ready to rescue things he cares about that are insignificant. And you can say, oh, that doesn't matter and that's terrible. But you know what? Jesus loves Jack so much that he cares about showing him that when his things matter, he wants to fulfill his promises to us, that he loves what we love and he cares about what we care about. And when our hearts ache, his does too. But you know what else happened? I prayed for some things that morning too. I prayed for some things a little bit bigger than Jack's. I had an area in my life. I was like, Lord, I really need you to get me out of this one. I don't know what I'm going to do. And when Jack's prayer gets answered, gets answered in the Browns win, you know what happens to the promise in my heart? It grows. And I go, okay, Jesus, maybe you're not playing around right now. Maybe you're ready to answer some prayers. And so I'm going, all right, within hours of Jack asking for the Browns to win, they win. Now, today, the Browns are playing for three in a row. If they win today, they will have won three in a row. The next week when they won again, it was their first road win since 2015. They'd lost 25 straight times on the the road. The last time they had a winning streak was 2014, four seasons ago. That's the last time. The last time they won two in a row was four seasons ago. Jack Mowerman prays, and here we go. They're going for three in a row. Okay, don't mess with my son. Don't mess with him. But I want to tell you that I pray for some things too, and so Jack's prayer gets answered, and I'm going, okay. Something inside me starts to rise up and go, maybe you really are a God who keeps his promises. Maybe you really are a God who cares when we need to be rescued out of a situation. Maybe you're not just the God of back in the day of Anna and Simeon, prophets in the temple, little baby Jesus being born. But maybe you're here today with me in my situation that matters. And guess what I get to stand here and tell you right now? Within one week of me praying on that day, I got rescued out of a situation. We serve a God who is a God of keeping promises and who cares about rescuing us out of things that we can't fix. Now, guess what? One week for that prayer to get answered. And now I'm like, okay, Lord, here's the next one. Maybe this one will take a month. Jack's took a day. Mine took a week. The next one takes a month. That's okay. But guess what? The inside of me is exploding with belief and faith and hope and anticipation and expectation that I serve a God who came as little baby Jesus to a man named Simeon and Anna so that they could see he keeps his promises. He does what he says he'll do. He is worth our belief and our hope that he can rescue us. One promise fulfilled breeds faith for the next. Bigger promise to be fulfilled. One rescue leaves room to believe that anyone or anything can be rescued. 
One week of things being rescued from the dismal way they've always been absolutely births fresh hope that long-standing areas in my life that need rescue can be changed. The Cleveland Browns are a long-standing, stinky football team. But one prayer from one 11-year-old and something changes. Now, go ahead. Tell me, Carrie, like, that's ridiculous. You might believe that. You might think that's a ridiculous thing to use as an illustration, but Jack Mowerman believes that God heard and answered his prayer. And his belief gave me more belief for my situation to be rescued. Simeon and Anna show us in Luke chapter 2 that years of praying and hoping that a promise will be fulfilled, and then one glimpse of a newborn baby, and that can be enough. Sometimes we need to believe the little glimpse of promise. That he's going to do it all the way. God can do anything, plain and simple. The second word I noticed in this passage is the word rise. Rise, R-I-S-E. I want you to remember that Simeon in this passage is old. I spent the last year and a half of my life working with the senior citizen population, and they are amazing, they're hilarious. They know exactly what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and you better get it right. But I can tell you one thing that they're not, and that's quick. They don't really move fast. If they move fast, that's trouble. (laughs) We encourage them all the time not to try to move fast. Here we see this picture of this man, Simeon, believing God for a lifetime, for a fulfillment of something God said, Hey, Simeon, guess what? You won't leave this earth until you see the Messiah. And what does the scripture show us? It shows us that the Holy Spirit says, hey, Simeon, get to the temple today. There's something for you to see there. And we don't see Simeon going, eh, I was there yesterday. Eh. You know, God, I've like been waiting a long time. Like, I'll go tomorrow to the temple. In fact, what we see is that Simeon goes when the Spirit nudges him to go. Something in Simeon trusts God, believes in his promise enough that when God says, rise up, go, He does it. When Jesus comes into our lives and starts showing us things about himself, it really should cause something in us to rise up. Something in me rose up in a fresh way when my prayer got answered, when Jack's prayer got answered. When we see God start to move and change and do things in our lives, it should cause something in us to like go, whoa, whoa, I'm waking up, I'm getting up. I might have been sleepy on this, but whoa, you got my attention, God. I'm paying attention. I'm going to rise up from where I've been and see something new. It made me think, this, this word rise, it just kind of jumped out to me in this passage, but it made me think of, have you ever heard somebody say like, oh, she sure knows how to get a rise out of her sister? Have you ever heard that saying? Like, you know how to get somebody's attention, and really that has a negative connotation. But I found out something really cool. That saying actually comes from fishing terminology. I know zero about fishing. I barely even eat fish. So, <laughs> But I know this. This expression alludes to an angler dropping a fly in a likely spot in the hope that a fish will rise to the bait. I think sometimes the hope and the promise of God, he's dropping it in front of us to see if we'll rise up and come towards it. 
I think sometimes God is just dropping little things. Browns winning. I know you guys are going to be so sick of hearing about the Browns. Andre's not here because he's home with Jack. He's like, why do you always have to be making fun of my sports teams every time you preach? I don't know. It's just what happens. And it's fun. And he's not here. And I, but that's okay. The fisherman drops that fly, and it, it causes the fish to come towards it and grab hold of it. I think this morning one of the things that that the God of the whole universe is doing for you is saying, here's, here's promise. I've promised you a bunch of things. I actually looked up promises in the Bible, and I found somebody that compiled a list of a thousand promises that are in God's word. I was like, yeah, that's too many to read on a Sunday morning, but that's cool to know that there's that many. God's saying this morning, you want to rise up and grab hold? I, I've got this promise here for you trying to get your attention. I'm trying to draw your focus. I'm trying to quiet you with a candle for just a minute in your day in the season to say, there's promises waiting for you. Simeon and Anna knew something we didn't know, and they were willing to wait a long time. And we realize that Jesus in our life is the fulfillment of a promise that he made to us a long time ago. I think our natural response is to want to rise up and do something about it. We want to be like him. We aspire to be more, to grow in our faith, to know more about God. Perhaps we might aspire to even be the fulfillment of a promise in someone else's life. A couple weeks ago, I had this really weird thought, and I shared it on a Sunday morning, but I had this thought that perhaps the reason people are putting up Christmas trees earlier and earlier and earlier is because there's just something in us that cannot wait to get to Jesus. Now, I know. I know it's consumerism. I know it's just Hobby Lobby making extra money and all that stuff. But what if there's just something inside of us that was created to rise up at the thought of the promises of God? At the thought that Jesus is coming, it's almost time to celebrate him. It's time to think about him. It's time to draw closer to him. It's time to push some other things out of the way. You know what I have to do every Christmas season because of my frailty and my weakness? I have to delete all the social media off of my phone. Because you know what I do if I don't do that? I'm more worried about how much prettier my college friend's Christmas tree is than mine than I am about Jesus coming. I'm more worried about what trip my friends are taking their kids on than I am about the fact that baby Jesus came to change everything and rescue me and cause something to rise up on the inside of me that says I want to be more like him. I want to know him. I want to be closer to him. You know what happened to Anna when she was confronted with baby Jesus? Did, I don't know if you noticed what it said. We read the verse kind of quickly. But it said she immediately started telling everyone around her what she'd seen. She's like, the first, she's like instant evangelist. Right away, off the bat. She's like, do you know? You know, it reminds me of somebody. I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever had a friend like this. But have you ever had a friend that lost a little weight? And then they have got to tell you how they did it. And then they want you to join their program with them. Or maybe you have a friend that made a little money. And they're like, come here, I'll tell you the secret about it. I made a little money. Or maybe you have a friend who is getting healthy. Okay, you have a friend. Now, listen, we do them in my house. But if you have a friend who's doing essential oils, come on. They are like essential oil evangelists. 
Is your nose running here? I've got an oil in my pocket. Like, <laughs> your kid coughed. Oh, I've got a cough drop for that. Now listen, we use them so I can make fun of them because I believe that they work. But listen, here's the thing. When you really believe in something and when something has changed your life, everything inside of you has to rise up and say, let me tell you about this. I can't wait another minute. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. And Anna is old. Widowed 84 years. But she still has the energy to say, I just saw my Jesus. Did you see him? Do you know about him? You're the closest person. You're sitting next to me on the bus. Guess what? You're going to hear all about Jesus. Something inside of us should rise up. And the last word I noticed was reveal. This might be the biggest news in the whole story. Because really, the Jews thought Jesus was going, the Messiah when he came would only be for them. And this is the first time we really see that the Messiah will be revealed to all the people, all the nations. Everybody gets to know about Jesus. Simeon tells us that revelation is like an uncovering, an unpacking, like opening a present. There's things God wants to reveal to you in this Advent season as you take just a moment in your day. I, I really believe that as you do this in your home every day, God will show you stuff you've never seen before in his word. I believe your family will light up about this holiday season in a way they've never had before. I used to think I was making my kids do it. And now if I don't do it, they're like, Mommy, where is it? Come on, we forgot. We, got, we're like, we had basketball nights where we're doing the Advent at 11 o'clock at night because they don't want to miss the night. Because there's something in us that was made to want to know about God to believe in his promises, to lean in in this holiday season. And he wants to reveal himself to you. What the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon about that this Messiah was coming and that he wouldn't die before he saw him, that kept Simeon going. Simeon was really old too. But he wouldn't die. Listen, listen I don't know if you've had a promise like this. I don't, think I, ever, I don't think I have a promise inside me that goes, the minute I see it, Jesus, take me. Like, who was that? The guy on um, Sanford and Son or whatever? He'd be like, what was his wife's name? He'd be like, I'm coming. Elizabeth, I'm coming or whatever. Like, Simeon's like, here I come, Jesus, or whatever. I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't know if I have a promise in my life that's so real and so big and so all-consuming that the minute I see it happen, I'm going to go, okay, God, I'm good. Take me. But Simeon knew something about the coming of this Jesus, that even when he saw it in the littlest, tiniest form it could possibly present itself to him, he was willing to say, God, I'm good. Take me now. You've done it. You fulfilled the promise. You did what you said you'd do. And I've waited all this time, and now take me. It's all good. Anna couldn't wait to tell people. I wonder if we have inside of us Or if we don't, if it might be birthed in this Advent waiting season. I wonder if we have inside of us the muscle, the capacity to wait a lifetime to see God do what he said he'll do. Or if we pray, and if it doesn't happen in a week, or if it doesn't happen in a month or a year, we're like, eh, maybe not. Move on to something else. But we're given this picture in the Word of God of these people who believed with everything that was in them, that they would see it happen to the point that once they saw the seed of it, the baby, baby infant version of it, they were good to go. Just last year, for the first time ever in our family, we put up a tree. 
and put presents under the tree before Christmas Eve. Now, you're probably like, well, who cares? But we just didn't trust our kids to not look at them. So, listen, I have a husband who will admittedly tell you that till he was like nine years old, got up in the middle of the night every Christmas Eve and with a, like a razor or something, untaped every box that was his with scotch tape next to him to see what he was getting and retaped him. And he, his dad finally caught him when he was like 10 or something. So naturally, my husband didn't trust our kids. <laughs> Now, listen, some years it's because we didn't buy the presents till Christmas Eve. We're just weird like that. We don't do it the same every year. But we just didn't trust our kids, so we didn't put the presents out. But last year I had bought some big, bulky things, and I didn't have a place to put them. And I'm like, listen, if it, if it, whatever age they are, I don't know, how old are you guys? 14, 12, I don't know, something. If at their ages they're not strong enough to, like, wait it out, then we've got real problems. So we started putting presents under the tree, and they were like, what is going on? There are presents under the tree with our names on them. Because sometimes, you know, you could put the weird ant present underneath that you won't see till whatever, January. Nobody cares about that when it gets hidden behind the tree and stuff. But they were like, they are multiplying overnight. We wake up every day and there's more presents. They were freaking out. And they were finding reasons to need to reorganize the presents. Oh, I don't, I think the chair doesn't fit well. Let's move these big boxes over. Oh, I wonder what's in, oh, Lucy, your name's on this one. They found reasons to touch them almost daily. The anticipation of the revelation of what was inside those gifts nearly caused my children to spontaneously combust last Christmas. And this year, one of the first things they said was, are we putting presents under the tree before Christmas again? There's something in us that is coded to anticipate, to be excited, to wait for the revelation of something good. We were created with this thing in us that needs something to believe in, something to hope for, a promise to wait for it to be fulfilled. It shows itself in the need to shake a present, or if you're just completely ridiculous like my husband, Open the corners of things with a razor and scotch tape it back together. But there's something in us that's meant to wait for the revelation of something good. Really, I think one of the greatest things that people ache for and don't have in this life, when you, when you learn about, when you study about people who grow up in abject poverty or, um, just in horrible abuse situations. They just don't have any hope that will ever get better. The hope has been beaten out of them. But God made us to wait on tiptoe, to sit on the edge of our seats, to not be able to almost stand it, that we have to touch it and get close to it and examine it and shake it. What could possibly be in here? And there's something in us that should be just the same way when it comes to Jesus. What more do you have for me, Jesus? What do you want to show me this time? What beautiful thing about yourself are you going to express this Christmas season to me that I never knew about you before, that I've never heard, never seen, never tasted, never touched? There's things about you, God, that I want to know that I don't know, and there's something in us that should absolutely ache for him to reveal himself to us. This wreath and these candles are the absolute simplest expression, simplest way to pause every day and say, God, reveal yourself in this Christmas season. Even if what you show me is in the size of a baby, 
but it's a part of your promise revealed. I want to see it. Oh, Jesus, will you show me? The anticipation of something being revealed provided an unbelievable, unquenchable, nearly uncontrollable sense of joy in our home. I think that same desire for the promises of God to be revealed in our lives, our homes, and our hearts can transform us this Christmas season. Claire, would you come? I just want to ask you a couple questions. Are you in need of a rescue this morning? My prayer for you would just be that during this season of Advent, of waiting, that the reality of a baby who was born to bring fresh hope, fresh belief in the fulfillment of promises, will spark in you a fresh belief that anything can and will be rescued. I wonder, maybe this morning it's time for you to rise up about some things, to be more, to take the bait, to stand up on the inside or perhaps the outside because of a promise that you know God will fulfill. My prayer for you today is that as we wait on the coming of the Messiah this Advent season, that you would be inspired to rise up to take the bait that is the wonder and awe of Christmas. To anticipate the promise fulfilled. I wonder if you'll wait on the edge of your seat and allow the excitement of the season to permeate your whole world. And I can tell you this with full assurance. There is something God wants to reveal to you through this Advent season about himself. A piece of himself that he wants to present to you for you to unwrap to discover to hold in your hands I wonder if you'd accept the invitation to eagerly await the revealing of all that is Christmas if you'll set aside time each day and let the longing in your heart grow to unpack all the promises that he set aside for you the Messiah is coming to rescue you The Messiah is coming to rise up, cause things to rise up on the inside of you and for you to respond. And the Messiah is coming to reveal himself to you this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the promise of your coming. The promise of your coming. Let us pause this holiday season. And recognize that you are the one who can rescue us. Let us take a moment and see if there's a place in us that needs to rise. That needs to go because you've said go. That needs to stand up on the inside and say, yep, that's a bit of the promise being fulfilled. And I'm going to take that bait of that promise in its infancy and I'm going to grab onto it with all that I am. And I'm going to rise. Jesus, I believe with everything in my heart that you want to reveal yourself to every person in this room this morning in a fresh way through this Advent season. And we, together, invite you to show us more about who you are. We invite you to show us your promise, to show us your goodness to show us your rescue, to show us how we can rise up. We invite you to show us more about who you are, your love for us that's greater than anything we can understand. And you know what, Lord, I believe for faith in this room this morning that even if what you show us comes in its most baby-like form, 
that we will say, yep, there it is. That's the promise. That's the one. That we would be like Simeon and say, I see it and that's it. That we would be like Anna and say, I've got the secret. I've seen the truth. I know what's going to save us. Let me tell you all about it. I thank you, Jesus, that you are coming, that you are always coming. And we honor you in this place this morning. Help us to be like Anna and Simeon. Help us to believe in the promise of you this Christmas season. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit us at wearelifetree.com or on Facebook and Instagram at wearelifetree.com.